Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Light Zone Data Show. Today, we're going to tackle the future of data. And to do that, we have our amazing guest today, John K. Thompson, who's an international technology executive with over 30 years of experience in the business intelligence and advanced analytics fields. Currently, John is responsible for the global AI and rapid data lab team and efforts at CSL Bearing. Prior to CSL, John was an executive partner at Gardner and led the Advanced Analytics Business Unit at the Dell Software Group. And besides this, he's also a best-selling author of not one, but two books. One on analytics, how to win with intelligence, and the other one, building analytics teams, harnessing analytics and AI for business improvement. Welcome, John. Thanks, George. So glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm glad to be part of the conversation. It's my pleasure and honor to have you on the show and as we could see from your bio you're really the perfect gentleman to talk about the future of data so when that comes to your mind the future of data what are some of the areas that you're thinking of yeah it, it will be my third book we're expecting it to come out in august or september sometime time and i i wrote the last book building analytics teams two years ago and as soon as that book was published, I started thinking about what am I going to write about next? And a lot of people talk about data and analytics and they say, oh, I'm on the data side or I'm on the analytics side. And yes, you can specialize in those areas, but for real change, they need to come together. So I think about data a lot. I think about analytics a lot. And I really started looking at the total landscape, the global landscape of data. And what is going on with data, how many companies are generating it, how they're they're holding it and managing it, how we as individuals have very little access to it and how that's changing. So I thought I'm going to write a book that will outline and inform why we have the data landscape that we do have. How did that come to be? Uh, these things just don't happen by happenstance. So I explain why over the last hundred years, the landscape of data and the ecosystem of data is the way it is. Then I talk about the uh, legislation that's going on, mostly in the EU. And then I lay out what we as individuals should be doing today to protect our data and what's going to happen so we can monetize our data in the near future. So what's your prediction? Do you think that us as individuals are going to have to take this ownership of data protection more and more into our hands? And there will be legislations out there like what's happening in, in the Europe and in, in California that will allow the consumer to be a little bit more protected than we are right now. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be up to us as individuals. That's one of those things that we are going to be empowered, but you don't have to be empowered. If you don't care and you don't want to be involved in it, you can just let it go and it'll be the status quo. Organizations will generate data about you. They'll analyze it. They'll aggregate it, integrate it, sell it, and, and companies will continue on as they are. But if you are concerned about your data and your privacy, and you are interested in monetizing data, then you will have the legal foundation to do so. You will also have the technological and the functional capability to get to your data. You will have the right to be forgotten. You will be able to delete your data. You will be able to set the price of every piece of data that you generate and is generated about you. So McKinsey said last year, that they expect in the next five years, $3 trillion worth of value 
to be generated by the ability of individuals to manage and monetize their data. For context or for a little bit of framework around that, $3 trillion is about the GDP of France every year. Incredible. And of course, we also hear that poor data quality is costing US alone, I think, $2 trillion. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I love to think about these things. Obviously, I, I'm passionate about data and analytics. And, and I was thinking about this conversation that you and I are having right now. And people say, oh, the future of data, that really is just Facebook and Dell and IBM and Amazon, that they're the ones that have to be interested in the future of data. That's the corporate side of it. But there's also the individual side. We've lived for so long, probably all of your life, all of my life, and probably the generation before us, and maybe even the two before us, where data was not something that we could control. We had no input into it. We had no ability to say what we wanted to happen with data. So we're moving into an, an, an era where there is the corporate or the corporate data world. But there's also the individual data world that we as individuals will be able to manage, monetize and, and have an active role in. That's so interesting because, yeah, I feel data has evolved from being this byproduct of what we're creating into an actual product. Mm -hmm. And do you see this trend becoming even bigger? Everything will be a product out of data or will transform itself into something even more that we can't even think about. Yeah, you hear it all the time. You're absolutely spot on in your remark. You hear corporate executives saying it all the time. We're not a pharmaceutical company, we're a data company. No, really, you're a pharmaceutical company. There are companies that are true data companies. Amazon sells lots and lots of stuff, that's for sure, but they are a true data company. And I've been parts of many different firms that say, hey, we have lots of interesting data. We sit at the intersection of these different operational and functional areas. How can we create data-oriented or data-based products? It's going to happen in every industry. It's happening in every industry. You know, the real change that's going to come in the future is the individuals. We as individuals, we as the general populace need to, to wake up and be aware of how we can take part in that $3 trillion worth of mm -hmm. value generation. Because I think a big problem right now is that when I talk to many people, like my sister who, who works in an auto parts store or people that I grew up with, when I say, hey, you can monetize your data, they look at me like I've got three eyes. What are you talking about? So this is a message that needs to get out to everybody. And John, what do you think would need to happen to lower that barrier of entry for people to self-monetize their data? Is it about data literacy? Is it about different tools that they need to get onto? Maybe open themselves uh, a free AWS um, cloud account, for example, and start using those tools. Data literacy is certainly a good start. And there's a lot of people out there like Jordan Morrow and, and other people that are talking about data literacy predominantly in the corporate setting. We need data literacy to be in our school system and financial literacy to be part of our education in Canada and the United States and around the world. In addition to that, we need better access. It's, mm -hmm. I, I have no idea how I would get into Amazon and change any of my data, you know, and assign values to it or, or monetization values that I desire. There are companies out there like a few in, in the EU, like pool data, pool data IO, if you want to check it out, 
They're creating data unions and data commons. And these things exist in specialized areas. If you go out into any of your favorite search engines and type in data commons or data exchanges, you'll find hundreds, if not thousands of most of it's around healthcare. People want to share their data if they're a cancer survivor or if they have a rare disease like hemophilia A or hemophilia B or primary immunodeficiency disease. But these people all want to band together. They want to share their clinical data. Some want to share their genomic data. They want to share their diagnostic data. They want to put as much as they can into these. Those diseases can have the researchers can have a better chance of helping cure or eliminate the suffering that those diseases cause. This will happen across everything. This will happen across every venue and every domain with every piece of data that you and I and everyone else generate. And Tanasia here is mentioning that data within healthcare is a whole different animal. It is. I've been working in a healthcare company for the last four years, and I've learned a lot about genetic, diagnostic, and clinical. It's a different animal, but it's still there. It's still data, and, and we can use it for really positive purposes. So do you think then the biometric data will become just more popular and more used in different fields, and it will be gathered on citizens, but obviously to help the common good and the individual as well, maybe have more personalized medicine and things like that. Do you see a more the rise of this type of data in the future? I do. I do. I, I think we've, we could do a better job with it. I think the organizations that are doing genetic data collection and consumer services right now are not the model that we want to follow in. They're taking that data and selling it widely and broadly, and we're not getting any value from it. We're paying them to take our data and then to integrate it and sell it to other people. I, I talk to people about, okay, so I don't even know what you're talking about in monetizing data. So I, I always give an example. Let's say that I personally would like to see organizations take climate change more seriously. So some of the organizations, companies like airlines are ones that I think could do a better job in fuel efficiency and understanding their impact on the global climate. So my data, anything that the airline company wants to use in my data, I would say that they have to pay me a thousand dollars for every piece of data they touch. Now that's an exorbitant amount, but what I'm trying to do there is, is send a message to the airline industry that I don't approve of what you're doing. And I don't want you using my data. Now, other companies, let's say are they're not-for-profits, let's say philanthropic or charitable organizations that are like the Sierra Club that are working to better the climate and, and the global environment as a whole, I might actually pay them to use my data. Every mm -hmm. time you use my data, I'll give you a dime. Mm -hmm. So you can actually not only have payment data that, that people pay you to use your data, you can actually pay other people. So you can incent or disincent or motivate or demotivate any organization by the way you assign a monetary value to the use of your data. And Laurent here, who's from France, by the way, he's wondering how do we ensure security and ethical use of our data then? That's a great question, Laurent. There's going to be, there is an evolving data ecosystem Right now, Pool Data is a company that I mentioned. But these are going to be data commons, data exchanges, data unions, data brokers. Those, not the data brokers, but the data commons, you know, they have, they're bound by law in the EU that they can't do anything to create data products or sell data. They're just going to be a holding place for that data. Now, as the data is sold to other organizations, you can set the policies 
for your data. Now, the security, that's going to be up to the organizations that hold the data. I don't envision that the data from Amazon and American Airlines and Emirates and all these places is going to move. I don't see that. I think that data is going to remain in those systems as they are, but these other layers, the data unions, commons are going to link into those systems. So we're going to have very tight security and an entire security regime, but the ethical use and the policies, you can set that. And if you find that people are using your data in a way that contravenes your ethical policies, then you'll have recompense and recourse against those organizations. Nelson is asking, will data citizens continue to take on greater relevance? And to our audience, data citizen is least in my understanding is that employee who is given access to an organization's proprietary information. I do believe data scientists, citizen data scientists, and, and all people that handle data today and in the future have a great responsibility to handle that data in an ethical, honest, transparent way. I, as one of our, I, one of our earlier remarkers or people on the podcast had said that healthcare brings in special considerations and it does. And that has really over the last, as I said, four years heightened my awareness of the ethics and the need to be transparent. If you're doing something with data and you're fearful that explaining it to someone is going to expose something you're doing, then you're probably doing something you shouldn't do. You should look at every action that you're working with data today and tomorrow and say, is this good for the person whose data I'm using? Is this good for the company that I'm working for or the client that I have? Mm -hmm. And is it good for the end you know, consumer? And maybe you're going back to do some things as I talked about, maybe it's a data union or a common where you're trying to help a population of people with a certain disorder or disease. Is it good for them too? So you just have to ask yourself, and I think you, you should be asking those questions today as, as well as tomorrow. Absolutely. And I hope we're going to see it as part of onboarding for new employees and part of regular training and uh, recurring training for not those data professionals alone, but anybody that's an employee of that company because they are touching on that data in one way or another, even if they're just consuming it. Yep, absolutely true. Scott Taylor is wondering, doesn't the term data product sound confusing to a business person who thinks it means selling data to others? Hey, Scott, how you doing? Good to see you in the audience. Yeah, the data product is a bit confusing because you, when you talk about the world today, data brokers and most people initially think, oh, a data product is just packaging everything up we have and selling it to others. That's not really what we're talking about. That's I don't think that's what you meant, George. It's certainly not what I meant. What we're really talking about here is taking data, packaging it up, integrating it, analyzing it, and then offering the value of that either to internal constituents or maybe selling it to external constituents. But a data lineage, something you know very well, Scott, is going to be exceedingly important in this new world because as data is brought together and data is integrated, you need to understand the permissions and the monetization scheme of all those thousands of people, if not millions of people that are in that data set that are integrated together. And we will have an infrastructure that will go back, will scan that data lineage and make sure that you're compliant. So there's, there's not the, the McKinsey $3 trillion was only the end economic value of the data and the data products. That has nothing to do with the companies and the infrastructure and the security and the privacy and the data lineage 
that's going to be built for this. The EU laws, the GDPR has been in, in force for five years now. The Data Act and the Data Governance Act go into effect next year and come into full force in 2025. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a huge amount of investment from venture capitalists and companies and countries moving into this area. This is a sea change. This is going to be a huge, uh, you know, the world of data is going to change dramatically in the next five years. Yeah, it got me thinking of this whole data product concept and thinking about those organizations that they don't see themselves as data organizations from the point of view that they don't create data products and they have started to. So for example, a supermarket that their business is to sell products to the individual, to the consumer, they're now trying to capitalize on the data that they're capturing on those loyalty cards, memberships, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on, and packaging it all up and selling it to others, maybe their suppliers that might be relevant to them and getting some really good extra money out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the new book, I talk about that a lot. The data regime that we live in, the data ecosystem or landscape that we live in today was actually created by Arthur Nielsen here in Chicago back just about a hundred years ago. And it was all based on consumer packaged goods and retail or for our friends in the UK, fast moving consumer goods and retail. And, and those retailers have been giving their data away for almost a hundred years now. So I think they're starting to wake up to it. Walmart did, it did some things about 15 years ago where they pulled their data out of the entire syndicated ecosystem and really shook everybody up. They're back into it now, but it really woke people up to the value of data. And it's been a slow, but constant evolution ever since. By the way, Scott was mentioning that he worked at Nielsen for 15 years and actually retailers are paid by Nielsen for their data. Scott and I worked at Nielsen at the same time. And, oh, there you uh, go. Yes, they are paid for paid by Nielsen for their data. But actually, if you Scott, you know this too. If you look at what they get paid, the amount they get paid versus the value of their data, those are not in alignment. And I don't know if you had the pleasure to work with Christina as well. Who no, this, this is Christina. Hi, how you doing? Glad you're in the audience. Uh, Christina and I have talked many times and have been on different shows together. I, I didn't know she worked at Nielsen, so that's that's a new piece of data for me. <laughs> Gus is wondering if you can give any hints about the, your book's title. <laughs> hey, Gus, how you doing? The working title is called The Future of Data. Beautiful and very fitting, too. Nelson has a follow-up and he's wondering how to get data experts to support data literacy strategies and improve analytical thinking in the organization. That you don't just focus on the technical work. You don't just focus on yeah. the IT part of, of yeah. it. Great, great question, Nelson, and, and that was one of the driving factors and, and, and forces for why I wrote my second book, Building Analytics Teams. And it's really, a, it's really a challenge, as you put your finger on. When you have your data scientists, they're really excited about grabbing data and integrating it to together and doing modeling and those kind of things. But the real problem, as I've talked about extensively in that environment, is change management. It's not so much about building the greatest model. Now that's fun and it is challenging and, and you need to do that, but you need to get high enough in the organization for the people who are running the manufacturing and supply chain and sales. It's not about the IT organization. It's not about the technical organization. It's about getting the leadership of the company to communicate down through the organization that we need to change the way that we operate. We need to be more data driven. We need to be more 
uh, curious about what's going on with our business today. Many of the organizations that I've worked with over the years, the real problem is that there's inertia. You've had people there who've had tribal knowledge and they understand how their business or understood how the business operated in the past. But when you bring them data that shows that the business or the consumers or the price or the operation or the market have all changed, there's, re there's resistance to changing the business based on data. So it's not so much the problem is not really with the data scientist or the technologist. It's mostly with upper to middle management being resistant to changing the business based on data. So it's more of a change management process than it is getting the technical people to buy into it. And I want to go back to that technology piece, because even though it shouldn't be as in focus in comparison to data needs to, you know, step forward a little bit more than it is right now, but technology still plays an importance in this whole thing. Susan is mentioning that she's in an Excel pickle right now, but <laughs> this ties into my next point is I think Excel has such a powerful presence in our data world because of its ease of use. At least that's my take on it right now. I think as data will become more prevalent and we as citizens should embrace it more and use it more, take ownership over it, monetize it. We also need to have tools that are easy to use, that are straight on. You open it, you understand what's going on. You can just go ahead and, and um, get that value out of it. Yes, I, I agree. I have to be careful in how I position this. I think Excel is a great tool. I think David Langer is out there in the community talking about his love of Excel and how to use Excel and all the different things you can do in Excel. And I think that's great. We often have business users come to us that have built little prototypes. And, and I think Excel is a wonderful tool for a certain class of users and technologists. It works. It's ubiquitous. It's easy to use. It's easy to understand. My position is that if you love Excel, then you should use it. And it is a great tool. Now my team, we don't use Excel. That's not what we do. And we will not build any solutions in Excel. We always use databases and we bring in information and we automate the feed and the integration. We put it in all sorts of databases of all flavors and types. Then we build applications in R, R shiny and Python and C and Java and other languages on top of that data. So we're building enterprise class applications in some cases, based off the requirements that we see in an Excel prototype than a subject matter expert built based on their knowledge of the problem. So there are plenty of technologies and tools out there. And I'm never one to say, oh, you shouldn't use that, or you shouldn't use this or for you. And I'm sure that there's even some list programmers still out there that think Lisp is the uh, greatest language that was ever invented. So if you love Lisp, go for it. What about Google Sheets? You <laughs> read about Google Sheets? That's fine too. Christina, I'm all good with any kind of tool anybody wants to use. It's, it really needs to be fit for purpose. Now, if you're building an Excel environment that is thousands of sheets and integrated macros, and you can do it, and I've seen lots of people do it, it generally doesn't work very well and it's brittle and it's hard to maintain. Be aware of, of the tool and the limitations, but whatever tool you want to use, go for it. Do you have a recommendation how to convince leadership or those users of your data insights, of reports and whatever you're building in these great tools like Tableau, like Power BI, Click and so forth and so on to then not ask, okay, but how do I export this in Excel? 
<laughs> I've, I've seen that, you know, on, uh, on LinkedIn and, and different things like that. If my application was so great, why are they exporting it to Excel? I never fight that. Every application that we build has an export to Excel function. People are always going to want to take your data out. They're going to want to do something else with it. And I, I stopped trying to fight that battle decades ago. So whenever we build any application, I tell my developers, put it, click export to Excel. We just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, remember Nitro? Scott is, uh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, yes, Nitro and answers and all the different things that, that we had built. Yeah. This was a, a Nielsen tool, I assume. Yeah. I was brought to Nielsen because Nielsen was tired of organizations taking the Nielsen data and putting Tableau or business objects or Cognos or something on top of it. So Nielsen wanted to get that revenue. So I was brought in with a product that was developed called Answers, which I think is still a, an active ongoing product at Nielsen. So yeah, we did all sorts of things. Nielsen is a great company and a lot of good data and, and many different efforts to put different layers of value on, on top of that data. Thank you. I do want to encourage everybody to follow John Thompson on LinkedIn. It's easy enough to do and you'll get a lot of value out of it. So please check that out. I'll post a link to his profile in the comments after this is done, but uh, you can quickly LinkedIn it if that's a verb. If not, it should be. Nelson is wondering if you see Python as the future leader for analytics. Nelson, great question. I think five, six years ago, it was R, maybe seven years ago, R was the leader. And then Python started racing up the, the stack. And it really comes down to how your mind works. If you're a person that grew up understanding procedural languages like assembler and COBOL and those kind of things, you think like a traditional programmer and R is really good for you, for your mindset. If you weren't traditionally trained as a programmer in those languages that I talked about, you probably think more in the paradigm of Python. So I see a real differentiation and there's collinearity between the way people were trained in their age. Older programmers tend to gravitate to Python, but in my data science team, usually the data scientists have a primary language and that could be R or Python and they have a secondary language. And if their primary language is R, their secondary language is Python and vice versa. So it really depends on how your mind actually works and how you were trained. I think that's the best answer I've heard about a question like this. Thank you, John. <laughs> and I have a question here from, sure. from Twitter and they're wondering on the future of data management, data governance. Do you see major changes in that? There has to be, we are going to a fully distributed all the time, all on access method into these different systems. So we're going to have these new data unions, data commons, data brokers. We're going to have new security layers. We're going to have different access. We're going to and more on data governance and data security. So yes, there'll be major changes there. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right, everyone, we're coming to an end here. I want to thank you all for listening in for your great feedback fast. and questions. It, it did. It did. It's such a pleasure to to be talking to you. And I think if you're willing, we'll need to schedule another session to to talk about this topic further. So please follow John Absolutely. Thompson to do it. on really LinkedIn it, and have a great rest of the week. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody.